Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. For exclusive podcasts and more, sign up at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. This week's Law and Order Marathon winner is Jonathan Calloway of Ringgold, Georgia. Jonathan will get a marathon decal showing he watched 26.2 hours of his favorite crime show. To be next week's winner, sign up at lawandorderpodcast.com. I'm Kevin Flynn with Rebecca Lavoy and Jawan Holmes, and these are their stories. You think you know who did it, but you don't know who did it. Law and order, law and order, law and order. It's no ordinary police procedure, baby. It's the FNOG of police procedures, baby. Law and order, law and order, law and order, law and order. These are their stories, these are their stories. Welcome to These Are The Stories, the podcast about network TV's most enduring crime franchise and the real-life cases that inspire their shows. I'm Kevin Flynn. Each podcast will break down an episode from either Criminal Intent, SVU, or Original Recipe. And today, we're looking at the series finale of Criminal Intent, Season 10, Episode 8, To the Boy in the Blue Knit Cap. I beg your pardon. Twin number one killed twin number two. We think not so much for brotherly love. Joining me to do just that is true crime author and the host of Crime Writers On and Netflix's You Can't Make This Up podcasts, Rebecca Lavoy. Hello, Rebecca. I don't want your laugh, Kevin. Oh, could that possibly be a reference to somebody in our in this episode? <laughs> it could be. It, it could, could be. be. All right, Pacey. Uh, joining us. <laughs> you to, mean Dawson. Well, he's got to have a partner, Joey. Uh, rounding out our panel is our special guest from the LGBTQ Nation website, it's Juwan Holmes. Hi, Juwan. Hi, Rebecca. Thank you, Kevin. Hi. Um, I'm glad to be on and talk about Law and Order, my which I know very well from growing up and living in my early days on on in my early internet days of Tumblr. So I'm excited to get it going. I, Tumblr. I was gonna say, yeah, you have this this cool, cool old school Tumblr, like with gifts and everything <laughs> like that. And I mean, it's no Kismate. Uh, we'll get into that. But how did you get into that? How'd you get into Law and Order in general? So yeah, I've always. Um, it was. I, I can't. I, I I think the first time I watched a Law and Order episode, I had to be nine or ten, which is the perfect age to watch something. As kid-appropriate mm. as all in order. <laughs> um, and so I've just always been in love with it. And I used to watch it when it would, like, I would watch them as they aired. So I remember, like, even watching SVU Season 10. My my mom was always super into that one. As I got on my early days of the internet, um, the, just, the Law & Order was, everyone had a show, you know, and the, uh, really the big show on Tumblr was always Supernatural. I love me some Sam and Dean anyway, but, yeah, but I digress. Yeah, he's a Supernatural fan here, by the uh, way. Okay. You, just, you just touched his heart. <laughs> so I created a <laughs> blog called In the Law, Law and Order Universe, which was dedicated to the entire series, the entire franchise. Um, 
And so I would just share anything I came across. Um, I had to be 13 or I had to be 14 or 15 when I started this blog. But um, ah. wow. How pissed are you that you didn't come up with this podcast before we did? <laughs> I, I, I would have. I am a little <laughs> bit upset about it, but um, I would have if I um, wasn't preoccupied with high school and um, yeah. <laughs> surviving and living and doing those things you do at in, <laughs> in the teen years. Of all the franchises, which two cops are your favorite detective team? Favorite Law and Order detective team. So my favorite detective team, This is the, I, I thought very long about these this question, the one that's going to come <laughs> next, but I really think I have to say Goran and Eames. Oh, yeah, and okay. I, and I guess my close second, very close second, even though they don't get a lot of storylines of airtime focused on them, was Munch and Finn. Yes. And so, but Gore, I love that Gordon and Eames always had each other's back, no matter what. And it wasn't like, you know, even the Elliot, Olivia will just follow. It wasn't, obviously, it had toxicity and very con- convoluted connection there. But it wasn't as weird as the Elliot and Olivia one grew over the... I guess it was weird, but it it, it felt different than the Elliot and Olivia connection. I, I, I appreciate how they worked with each other. And I also appreciate... I, I really think Eames is a very underrated detective. She's very good at this yeah. job. Agreed. So, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Yep. And she's very good at managing her nutty partner. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So... Yeah. so Hey, Juwan, who's your favorite prosecutorial team? Favorite law and order district attorney prosecutorial team. If I had to choose a team, I would have to say um, Cutter and Ruberosa. Wow. Mm, yeah. I, I, I like their dynamic as a team. On, and, I, and again, again, if we're talking about teams, because my favorite DA altogether is Novak, uh, as messy mm-hmm. as she is. I have one question, though. Serena Sutherland, lesbian or not a lesbian? <laughs> Settle it. Uh, Is this because I'm a lesbian? I heard, and I, to be honest, I didn't know this was an unsettled question. I thought it was, I think it's for, <laughs> I think for. No one really believes it. They think it's, yeah, they think it was a bullshit line at well, the end to give her a, a, a splashy yeah, exit. Yeah. Because there was no indication. It, Even when you watch previous episodes, like what it's, a retcon. Not, it's not yeah. signaled in Anyway, not that it should be because, you know, a lesbian can just come to work and be right, a professional right. person. But like, it's almost the opposite of being signaled. <laughs> like, like it was definitely an idea that just came from somewhere. I think that's what made it interesting in that, as we see with the spinoffs, they are obviously more reliant and they need to have the storylines focus on the characters more. But um, with the original, especially... It, it did that in the beginning, but as it got towards the 2000s, it very much kept away from getting personal with anyone that wasn't Jack and that wasn't even Lenny, really even and barely even Lenny for, you know, the fact that he was there 12 years. And I think she I think she's bisexual. I think she's there a very go. much. That solves the, that solves the mystery. Solves everything. <laughs> I think it's canon to call her bisexual. There you go. <laughs> All right, now let's take a look at the first half of this episode, Criminal Intent, Season 10, Episode 8, To the Boy in the Blue Knit Cap. Ugh. It's, I know, it's a stupid name, right? He never takes off that fucking I know. Hat. Okay, we'll get to that now, all right? <laughs> Boy, it's not bottle service that Rex and Danielle get in the club. 
It's an unwelcome visit from Rich Prep Boy and Bag de Douche. <laughs> Parker Gaffney. He and his twin brother Thomas are suing Danielle because she made millions stealing their idea for a social networking site. She is the face of Kismate, along with her hipster slacker millennial fuckface boyfriend PJ. <laughs> one night the janitor comes to clean the Kismate offices and finds one dead body on the floor, and then one more that looks exactly like the first one. The blood trail leads over here. So Thomas's body was dragged from the area that he was killed. Levers bent. And uh, it's consistent to the wound on Thomas's head. He was pushed into the pinball machine, maybe during a struggle. Right, the killer might have been dragging Thomas's body away when Parker showed up. So why were the twins killed in the offices of their business rival? Their business partner, Samir, tells Gorn and Eames that Parker was the hothead and Thomas left on emergency business earlier in the evening. There's palpable tension between Danielle and PJ, who both deny killing their rivals. The detectives find Rex, their hard-partying business partner and former pornographer who swears the lawsuit that could have just ruined him weren't nothing. Gorin suspects deodorant on Parker's hands meant that he tried to move Thomas's sweaty body <laughs> by grabbing him by the sweaty armpits. But if that's the case, then who killed Parker with the scissors? Samir provides the detectives a copy of the MacGuffin algorithm that shows the Gaffneys had a strong case against Danielle, that she perhaps stole their technology, and the supposedly stolen swipe card of sexy but disgruntled assistant Hildy was used to get into the office right after the security cameras were shut off. Gorn and Eames accused Danielle of knowing Parker was on his way to find that algorithm, and that's when Samir says, no, he was with Danielle all night. Okay, so we get the usual criminal intent setup, quick vignettes of all the characters, each with some problem and something to hide and arguing, so we get suspicious of all of them. This includes the rich father talking about the lawsuit with one of the twins while fencing the other. You're going to let these people screw you while you smile and say thank you? Not my son. Man up, boy. Fight or die. And so Law & Order Criminal Intent said, hey, we're not spending a dime on some green screen <laughs> to do this twin actor bullshit. You go here, stand on the left, then go change your clothes and come back. Fuck that. We're going to make your twin brother wear a fencing mask yes. and just pretend that's him underneath there. Listen, this was the most discount social network situation I have ever seen. Everything about this episode is discount, which I actually really love. And the fencing mask part the best i was gonna you know going from the very beginning that opening scene where or the opening part where they um the janitor discovers the body and looks at them looks at them for like five minutes before he decides to run away it's probably <laughs> that's probably one of like the the funniest part it was like is they might get up it, and, and it, it's one of those small things where it's like are like are they gonna turn this into something that matters later because I was like, is he going to actually report it or is he just going to run away? And because, I mean, like he's looking at them and like the beginning just gave a very classic criminal intent on every level. So before he faces his son in combat and go after him with an epi uh, sword. Epe. Epe. Oh, Epe's like an Epi pen. An Epe. Yeah, right. So, so Mr. Gaffney, before he does that, takes a big swig of scotch. 
Man, they won't let you uh, drink beer bowling anymore. <laughs> Mr. Gaffney is the most toxic masculinity mascot I have ever seen in my entire life on television. He tells his son to, quote, man up. Man up, boy. He's literally waving swords <laughs> at his children. Yeah. Uh, he is just like... And he commissioned a really creepy oil painting of the twins. Oh, my God. <laughs> that painting to me was the best detail in this entire episode because if you have twins... And they look exactly alike. Why do you need a painting of both of them? (laughs) (laughs) Like, like the whole thing about a portrait is it's like, this is me, right? Why? Why do you need one that portrays both of them? You just look at one. You know it looks like the other. Is it it to show that one enjoys chambray and the other one enjoys a different kind of shirt? I don't know. I don't get it at all. So the uh, Kismate website is like Craigslist, Craigslist misconnections, right? Okay. It's just not as sad as that, however. <laughs> so the, the title of the, this episode is To the Boy in the Blue Knit Cap, and that's because that's the message that Danielle sent to PJ to start their romance, and the entire website and company is built on that catchphrase. So when Goran sees PJ come to the office, he says, You have a cap. You're the guy in the posters. Yeah, you're a fucking genius detective, apparently. <laughs> and then he says to him, uh, so do you work here? You work here? Uh, <laughs> nobody actually works there. Mm. He's there playing pool. Pinball. Pinball. Right. Everybody's like, hey, when are you going to clean up this blood? Because I want to go play foosball. <laughs> right, right. Can we just talk about- I got a rock climbing wall I got to get to. <laughs> I mean, it's the most millennial fucking episode in the world. How bad does PJ's hat smell at this point? He just wears that hat. He uh, wears it. All the time. It's gross. It looks like a well tip on the end of a condom. That's just my opinion. <laughs> the office is not even... In, it, it's funny how they did this this episode. They were just like, do we really need... To? You know, in the old Criminal Intent episodes, they would have given like a whole office building on forty, a whole exterior shot, the whole mm-hmm. 10 floors. They were like, let's just give the corner where the guy who never <laughs> is in the office has an office... This um the pinball machines and then the pool table in the middle. Nothing says romance like a pinball machine with two people's faces on it. Listen, they had to buy a sticker to put that name on that pinball machine. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to put Hildy's desk in the front, and that's the whole office. That's really all yeah. you ever yeah, see you after that's the need. first part. And so that right. was that was the part I was always just like, are we ever going to see more of like, I don't know if we ever see where Danielle, I think we see where she sits. Nope. But it's just like the yeah, she- it's right next to the air hockey table. <laughs> and it's like, do all the, do five people work here and do they just cram into this? I just made that point. Nobody actually works there. It's just like SVU, <laughs> where there's like three people on the squad and 18 people in the background yeah. doing nothing. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. But they didn't even give the background. They just they just gave the wall. So even in the very last episode of Criminal Intent, Gorn cannot stop telling Rogers how to do her fucking job. Yes. <laughs> so the murder clue was that Thomas's armpits were drenched in sweat, apparently from dancing at that club. And we know that Parker moved the body because there was antiperspirant on his hands. Mm-hmm. Well, judging by the amount of pit sweat, he obviously wasn't wearing any antiperspirant. <laughs> I mean, the, what was the, the tell for Goran was watching uh, JVB go out on the dance floor and like raise the roof in his suit jacket? Which, yeah. by the way, you don't fucking do that. Listen, I'm not exactly a person so, who goes to clubs regularly, but when I do, I do not wear a woolen suit jacket onto the dance floor. What do you say about that, Juwan? <laughs> when Goran sits next to him in that booth in the school, 
<laughs> it's in his personal space. <laughs> it is like they just love doing the weirdest Loved things. It. And I was like, so how did you find the antiperspirant and all of this days after through an autopsy when you're going through the body? You know, so that was a little it wasn't a plot hole because it, it sort of makes sense. But it was just, you know, like, oh, yeah, we found this days later, this evidence that their hands were on each other. Even though they're twins, so they they share DNA. Yes, it could have been <laughs> his. You know, that's it literally could have been his own underarm sweat. There's no. He could have been like Mary Catherine Gallagher. Yeah, right exactly. Before he exactly. Up at that office. Well, it's funny when they get to that club. The first thing that happens is is that Gornims want to get beyond this velvet rope to go talk to Rex. Sorry, VIPs only. She pulls out her badge and says, "We're on the list. We're on the list." And the big bouncer says, Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> and he's like, Fine. You can please go ahead and not bother me anymore. So Rex, the pornographer, right, is former pornographer. Sorry. Former integra- inter- Virtual eroticism. Oh, right. Yeah, right, right, whatever. <laughs> he's surrounded by like all these champagne room models. And he's like, No, go away, ladies. And then turns to Eames and is like, Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to hit the dance floor. Care to join? Uh, pass. Oh. Uh, you're lost. I totally am now f- infatuated with Eames Catherine slash Catherine Irby. Yeah. She just comes off as really warm and not like a detective at all, really, uh, you know, in, in the best possible way. But still, I don't know if I would, you know, when you've got like swimsuit models yes. all over, you know. Okay, so let's just talk about Eames for a second. All right, sure. Um, she has a mm-hmm. weird and childlike beauty. I find her to be okay, like, yeah. incredibly beautiful, but she also looks like... A Hummel? You know what a Hummel is? Like one of those one little of those figurines things. with a giant eyes. <laughs> and like You want her to be your big sister. I, I yes. Yeah, I want her yeah, to be my big sister. Exactly. I want her to be my mom. I want her to be my best friend. I want her to be my my work wife. <laughs> I want her to be all of those things. Yeah. I want her to move in. Like I want her to be near me all the time. The one thing I don't want to do is grind on her on the dance floor. Yeah. Okay. yeah. The one thing I don't want to do. but it was very just like is every criminal they gonna interact with be attractive to her or find try to use her attractiveness for something but meanwhile (laughs) only cutter is attracted to ruberosa who is like objectively the most beautiful woman who's ever been on the planet earth ever only he sees it somehow oh my god (laughs) the only thing that can make that better is that if ruberosa said i'm a lesbian and i have film (laughs) you know but if uh if rex started to you know grind up on eames on the dance floor that is another way to get his dna (laughs) (laughs) all right let's take a look at our cast it's our very special guest star mr james vanderbeek He's playing slimy internet porn hipster Rex Tamlin. You guys can bitch at each other all you want, but let's not forget why we're here in the first place. Huh? Kismet, baby! People believe in it, so you better keep living it. First of two Law & Order appearances, you know him best as playing... James Vanderbeek in Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23. (laughs) And playing James Vanderbeek in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back. And that's it. That's it. We don't know him from anything else. We don't know him from Dawson's Creek. We don't know him from that football movie. Nothing else. Just those things. No, I'm not too familiar with that one. But I do know James Vanderbeek from those two things. Literally just those two things and Ugly Betty. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably the first thing I saw him in. I, I, don't, I think he did a few episodes in that one. 
Mom was a dancer. Dad was a minor league baseball player. Mm. Uh, James transitioned to acting when he got a concussion playing football, Oh, which is why Joey picked Pacey. Oh, yeah. Well, let's just talk about it. Joshua Jackson was the real star of Dawson's Creek. Anyway, he was. We have a Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. Can you tell us who's playing Dr. Paula Geisen, Goren's therapist? The job gives you structure, sense of purpose. But you're convinced that it's the only thing that defines you. That's very fancy actress Julia Ormond. Oh, yes. Emmy Award winner Julia Ormond. Best known as Sabrina from the movie Sabrina, as well as Legends of the Fall. Her last few big roles include Don Draper's Canadian mother-in-law in Mad Men, <laughs> who had an affair with Roger Sterling. That's right. And also, she's now the lead in The Walking Dead, mm. World Beyond, mm. uh, which uh, Rebecca, one million percent, will not be watching. Nope. I hate zombies. She's a UN Goodwill <laughs> ambassador for her efforts to stop sex trafficking. And uh, she no longer wants to live the life of a uh, beach bathing former ingenue. Hmm. Last month, she told The Telegraph, I'm over suntans. Hmm. She just wants to go glamping. Love her. <laughs> I'm glad that suntans are still on the table for her. I admire that. <laughs> we also have a cameo by defense attorney... Danielle Melnick in the beginning. Who is that? Then I need more than your word against hers. I need evidence to put this over the top. You bring me a smoking gun. So yeah, Danielle Melnick was um, the defense attorney from the original Law and Order. Yes. And so that, like I said, that was the nice touch of giving this connection, um, you know, to the original. And, you know, she's the reason all this, she's sort of the reason this all happens because she's like, get me a smoking gun, which... She almost never had as a defense attorney, but she right. <laughs> still won anyway. But she was like, find me a smoking gun and I'll do it. And they're like, OK, let's murder some people. <laughs> That's Tova Felsha. Uh, two Emmy nominations, one for the TV miniseries Holocaust, co-starring Michael Moriarty <gasps> as a Nazi who's oh. not totally down with the Holocaust. Oh, I don't know if I believe that he's not down with the Holocaust. Uh, hey, I guess there are fine people on both sides. Oh, to God, quote somebody. Michael Moriarty. And I'm sure he did all oh, of his no. his scenes in Holocaust looking at a pie plate. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Tova uh, was also nominated for playing this character, Danielle Melnick, in season one of Law & Order in 1990. So, as you say, Juwan, nice bookend there. How about website developer Danielle McGee? Who's that actress? We're not a hookup service, and we're not Facebook. We're a networking site dedicated to romantic connectivity, to kismet. That's Natalie Gold. She's on Rebecca's favorite show, Succession, <laughs> as Kendall Roy's estranged ex-wife. Really? Yes, that's huh? the ex-wife there. Wow. Or, I don't know if they're ex or whatever, but uh, she's also in The Walking Dead, World Beyond, Again, a show that 1 million percent Rebecca will never watch. <laughs> we have a Hey, It's That Guy. Hey, it's that guy. Can you tell me, the actor playing Samar, the business partner? Six months later, she launched Kismet, our idea. I didn't know him before this episode, but Manish Dayal, he's also the one of the lead in um, The Resident, as you said, on Fox. And so I've seen him in that, and I saw him in something else that I can't remember. But I didn't realize before rewatching this how good he looked <laughs> and i'm not one of those people that normally gawks oh at the. Mm. <laughs> i'm not one of those people that typically gawks at the guy 
But I was like, does no one notice how beautiful he is? Yeah, he's on, you say he's on The Resident. He uh, is acting in that show alongside Malcolm Jamal Warner, hmm. whose Cosby show residuals dropped to zero dollars for some reason. <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> for says he had to get a job. Well, that's tough. <laughs> Can you tell me the name of the actor uh, playing the crime scene detective at the beginning? I got two bodies. Janitor found them this morning. The victims are Parker and Thomas Gaffney. Our good old veteran, hey, it's that guy, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Of yes. The Lord. <laughs> he's, I, he's probably done, I, I, I can't, I, I have to imagine he's done at least 30 episodes between He's done three. 14 Law & Order episodes. He's probably most recognized for his supporting role in The Wire as State Senator Clay Davis, whose catchphrase is, Rebecca? Oh, shit. The different ways he says, she. But he also follows me on Twitter, which he is my favorite she. thing about him. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, recently, he's been in Showtime's Your Honor. He just appeared in Spike Lee's Oscar-nominated movie, The Five Bloods. Do you recognize the actor playing the twin's father? No? You're just teasing me. I'm teasing you. If you let this girl play you for a fool, you'll be sucking hind teeth for the rest of your life. That's not the Gaffney way. That actor's name is Richard Beckins. We just saw him in the last episode of this uh, podcast playing Councilman Richard Durbins, the gay politician murdered by a homophobic politician. That was the same guy? It was the same guy. Does not look like the same guy. Well, it's, you know, like... 15 years later or something. And ironically, it's it's that punch that's the whole reason that Logan's on criminal intent in the first place. So the guy who was a, who played a gay politician killed by a homophobic person, yeah. then in a later episode, played a guy telling his me, his sons in a very toxic, masculine way to, quote, man up. Yeah, he has range. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and who is playing Parker and Thomas Gaffney, the twins? Enjoy yourselves while you can, because the fun train is over. I got to take this one. Okay, Rebecca, who is that? <laughs> that is Thad Luckinbill, uh-huh. who played J.T. Heldstrom, Victoria Newman's formerly nice but later abusive husband <laughs> on The Young and the Restless, who, by the way, mm-hmm. a group of women clubbed on the head and then buried, but he was actually alive, and he came back and attacked them again. The fuck? <laughs> it was a whole thing. And I also know him, by the way, as Discount Ryan... Quantin, because he looks just like Ryan Quantin from True Blood, except discount with a not as good body. Ah, uh, <laughs> yeah, you got that right. Uh, <laughs> I'm young and the restless. Sad luck and Bill. Crazy thing though, he actually has an identical twin brother. Shut the fuck Whoa. up. No, um. Trent Luck and Bill. <laughs> uh, Trent Luck and Bill played dead sweaty Thomas Gaffney. Shut the Right, you didn't see him in the shot when the two of them should be standing together. But the thing where they pan here, and they just as easily could have panned there. They They didn't need him for that. Should they both sit for the painting? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god! So two two things. One is, um, did you not know that (laughs) Rebecca in all the. Other information you knew about him was no. that a complete surprise to you? That all that you didn't know. A hundred percent surprise. I'm young and the restless fan. I know him as JT. I did not know he had a twin. Wow. And then the other thing is, I love that tw- twins in Hollywood almost never work together. Like uh, after they have to as kids, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like when was the last time you saw Cole and Dylan Sprouse in the same thing? <laughs> Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. 
Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. All right, now let's take a look at the second half of this episode. When he said that he was with Danielle, Samir says, not in a sexual way that would make for a good commercial break cliffhanger. Mm. He said that he and Danielle were working on a settlement. The twins and I would receive 15% of preferred stock and a percentage of royalties based on sales. All right, which at the current valuation of the company... $37 million, A drop in the bucket for Danielle. But worth it to her to avoid the bad publicity of a lawsuit. In business, sometimes you win by surrendering. The Gaffneys didn't know Samir was trying to settle the case. He says Parker was out for blood, but Thomas really didn't have his heart in the legal battle. Gorn and Eames confront coked-up Dawson that maybe he shut off the video cameras while he, he was waiting for Parker to break into the kismate office, and he says, I don't want to wait for my life to be over. I want to know right now. Will John it be? will not get that reference as a non-Dawson's <laughs> Greek fan. <laughs> so he set up a <laughs> hidden camera to snap a pic of whomever shuts off the security system, but the lens was blocked by, of all things, a blue knit cap. Mm. Loverboy PJ admits that he was smashing with Hildy because his corporate storyline romance with Danielle was on the rocks. And Parker got Hildy's swipe card by threatening to expose the fling and destroy the company. But how did Parker know about the affair? He learned it from his twin brother Thomas. But how did Thomas know about the affair? Because he was having one with Danielle. After one final Gorn explication, for good measure, we learn that Thomas went to the Kismate office to stop Parker. When Danielle had discovered that Parker had smashed her lover's head on the pinball machine, she stabbed the other twin with the pair of scissors. Later, we see Gorn finishing up his mandatory therapy sessions with Dr. Geisen. She says that he has trust and anger issues and would benefit from more therapy, but will be able to keep his job as a New York City detective. Waiting from outside is Alex Eames saying, they just got a call. A contemplative Bobby Gorn, appreciative of his career and his longtime partner, right off into the concrete cesspool of violence and depravity known as New York City. Okay. Yes. So earlier in this episode, Gorn is interrogating Samir, and he yells back at Gorn. Are you insane? And Gorn says, yeah, Jury's still out on that one. Jury's still out on that one. <laughs> no, it's not. Guilty is fucking charged. <laughs> Um. So PJ might be a dirty hippie slacker, but we do know that he takes off that fucking wool cap to get it in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he also has this, I mean, I guess it's like in Flavor Flav, he must take off the, the, clock. Gi- the clock around his neck, right? Even though yeah. that's his thing. Uh, he has this aside with PJ, Goran does, talking about like dating 
being like foraging on the savannah. I mean, that kind of possessiveness is not what assured us our survival when we were out there, you know, foraging on the savannah. Ah, la, 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 la. <laughs> like a mad dog. What the hell was that? Don't know. I don't know. I don't, all I know is that that does not help him see us as less insane. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't. Re- I think that was one of the odd moments that didn't really fit in with the 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 like ev- like like I was gonna say everything in this episode is pretty classic criminal intent, and that was like the yeah we're gonna still make him seem crazy even at the end. So <laughs> I was like, okay. It feels like um, D'Onofrio was like, "This is my last episode. This is mm-hmm. the finale of the series. I am method." I only have a couple of scenes left to do that. I want to actually eat the furniture. So I'm going to do method uh-huh. right now in this scene. And I say the word Savannah and whatever comes to me, I'm just going to do that thing. That's what it felt like wow. to me. <laughs> That's pretty dangerous. I really hope he doesn't listen to this episode. I really do. <laughs> well, all this gets back gets us back to the final scenes of the episode and, and thus the final episodes of the series. So after the assassination of uh, Captain Ross and that whole story. Spoiler line, alert. This is, I mean, there's so much fucking drama on this this show. Uh, you remember Gorn and Eames left. They had a fire, Gorn, and Eames resigned, and that was season eight or nine, and then they're gone, and they come back here at season 10 to kind of have one final hurrah of eight episodes, and sort of the hook is that Gorn has to go to therapy in order to find out whether he, he keep his job, and so he's working through his shit throughout the whole season. So it comes to this at the end. And uh, so they have this uh, psych evaluation. First of all, with the series ending, it really is possible that, you know, the writers could say, yeah, Gorn, you are going to lose your job mm. because it would be one way to end the whole thing. Are you going to take my job away? I'm going to tell them that you are more than capable of holding down your job and that you have anger and trust issues that would benefit from further treatment. Geisen says, you have trust issues, and to that end, you should probably see somebody else. She can't wait to get rid of him. That doesn't really help your trust issues, right? If your therapist (laughs) says, let me make a referral. (laughs) (laughs) And you you should keep your badge, keep your badge and your gun, and go to someone else that isn't me. That is is who you want to have a gun, right? That is who you want to have a gun. And that's why we are where we are. (laughs) Let's be real. (laughs) Yeah. Not just on this show. Thanks, America. Yeah, exactly. Uh, So the final final scene of the series is that Goran steps outside. And first off, no shit, he's wearing a completely different outfit than when he left that office. Mm. I'm not joking. (laughs) I know, Rebecca, I give you crap for, like, talking about stuff that you see. Yeah. He's a podcast. He he comes out with a blazer and a light blue sweater, and he had a dark blue Oh, never mind. Okay. I guess there's a locker room that he hit after <laughs> that continuity. Yeah, continuity. <laughs> so he steps out, and his best friend's Eam is there in support. Now, this scene mirrors a scene in season six, episode three, when Eames had to do her mandatory uh, therapy. Similar-looking brownstone, quiet side street. He surprises her by showing up in support. I'm going to play some of those clips back-to-back. How'd it go? Just three more sessions. How'd it go? Good. Good. Well, I can drop you off. Call. I, I got it. Uh, call came in. DOA hit a bank on West 44th Street. The feds are already on their way, but I thought we might want to get there, get there first. first. Well, then let's go. 
let's go. And then they drive off like Batman and Robin onto the next adventure. <laughs> Look, this is the only Law & Order franchise that got to pick its ending. Uh-huh. Because Original Recipe didn't know it was going off the air. SVU was still chugging along, of course. <laughs> um, so the question is, how do you think they did wrapping it up? <laughs> I First of all, the this, this series really gave like five different endings. <laughs> I mean, we have the... It, it was so many opportunities to just dismiss it. I mean, you got... Literally the last, like we were talking about the season nine intro and they're like, yeah, we're just going to continue. We're going to end this, their saga and just send them off with Goran getting fired, <laughs> Eames leaving her badge. And then, yeah, we're just going to go to Nichols and Stevens and let it keep going and then screw them and not explain how they leave. <laughs> and so it goes into this back and forth that just, you know, it's so weird. It it really, wa- I guess it wanted to get away from focusing on Goran and Eames, but it's the entire series is just, they basically couldn't do it right. And so I, I, I love this episode. It's probably the strongest episode of the season other than Icarus. Which was the show right before this. Yeah, with Cynthia Nixon. Cynthia Nixon, yes. who was in epi- the second episode of yes. Original Recipe. Yes. So, yeah, again, kind of all coming around. Yeah, but I-, I love this episode. But the one thing I f- always I felt when watching it was that this should have not been the closer. If anything, it should have been the opening episode. I feel mm. like it was so mm. strong and it was so classic. This is how you would have wrote people back versus how you want to sort of dismiss it. Uh, and, and like in terms of the sto- actual murder and the investigation part, because um, as you can tell, they probably just cry- they were like, yeah, we're going to film these episodes and then we're going to put the therapist scenes in a different part. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's how they did that it. That was my feeling, too. And look, you got to remember that at the end of the series, this wasn't even on NBC anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was on USA. Yeah. Where they would put it on Sunday night on USA and then the rerun was at some time on yeah. NBC. But I got to say, I watched the Criminal Intent pilot right after watching this episode. And by the way, to bust a myth, you know, we see like in the opening credits, like the classic scene of like Gorn, like leaning over, like yeah. mm. what was happening. That was from the pilot in that episode. What he was actually doing there is he was trying to do the upside down reading of what the guy was writing. Ah. He wasn't doing like some super magic fucking <laughs> thing. It's like, oh, he's so smart. Look at that. He's looking at somebody upside down. He's a genius. No, he was just, you know, <laughs> looking at a pie plate and hmm. acting towards that. So my take, look, for all the drama that this series had on the screen and off the screen with D'Onofrio being exhausted, D'Onofrio, yeah, you know, and then bringing in rotating detectives every other episode, yeah, like we were divorced going to different parents' houses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this show ended the way it started in tone and in style and concept, and you can't say that about the other two big shows, but I will say one mm-hmm. thing, yeah. what. The fact that there was an actual mystery and case in this episode was fucking unnecessary. Like, it was. (laughs) So they had this story. And I agree with you, Juwan. It's like they had this story that was just an episode story, right? It was just like someone steals someone's website. There's a mysterious murder. The the final five minutes of this episode were so, to me, very they were satisfying in terms of, like, conclusion stuff. I wanted to, as much as I enjoyed the first 40 minutes, I just wanted to, like, shove them under a bed. And I just, how lovely would it have been if knowing this was the final episode, they just kind of stretched out the Goran angst, 
the Eames stuff, maybe had them investigating stuff, but only from their perspective? Well, I think that they would say that, that was the what the entire season was. Yeah. That eight episodes. Because he went to therapy throughout the whole season where yeah. he's working out all of his shit. Yeah. Um, it you was know, like in treatment, but on the cheap. Yeah. You know, and it's, <laughs> it's a, I mean, if you want to get into any character's head that they've ever done, I mean, it would probably be this one. I'm right? just glad they didn't bring back Nicole Wallace. Be <laughs> yeah. oh, she's supposedly dead, but who knows, right? So, um, yeah, I really, I, I get what I agree with you in the sense that it was definitely the same tone that it started with. And so that was the good thing about it. it, it and so the other shows, they kept it consistent, but then it just kept going so long that you just have to have so many different things fall on and fall off versus where criminal intent. And I, 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 I guess this is as I've gotten older, I wasn't a criminal intent fan until at first, not as big as I am now, but. I really feel like it got a raw deal because of the D'Onofrio stuff. The, oh, it's not as big as SVU yeah. stuff. Oh, it costs so much money for D'Onofrio the front fan, and now you have to bring in t- two other teams. Even though I like that concept of the two teams, it just was weird to just throw it in there. So they had they had D'Onofrio, right? Yeah. Who, I mean, we know that he's method. We know that he's, but he's a big personality. He's a real actor. But they also, so when he like did his thing and they left, they brought in Chris Noth, Who's also a big actor, and Annabella Shiora, who's a huge uh, actor. Yeah. Jeff like, Goldblum too. Jeff is Goldblum it, yeah, is was in The Fly and Jurassic Park. Like these are not like small potatoes actors. No. And the fact that it had to end with D'Onofrio and Irby tells you something about the fact that they are the heart of the, the show. show. They are the heart of the show. We did not watch this for anything other than those two. Mm-hmm. At least yeah. I didn't. Well, look, we, as much as I like Robert Patrick, fuck him on the X-Files. I want Mulder <laughs> and Skull, right? <laughs> Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. All right, let's take a look at the real-life story that inspired this episode. It's time for Ripped from the Headlines. What could it be? You think you know who did it. You think you know who did it. But you don't know who did it. You don't know who did it. Ripped from the Headlines. Plot points from this episode come from the legal battle over the founding of Facebook. In 2002, identical twins Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss attempted to make a dating website for fellow Harvard students. After several programmers dropped out, the twins reached out to classmate Mark Zuckerberg. What happens next remains a huge point of contention. Zuckerberg launched thefacebook.com in 2004 as a social network for Ivy League students. The Winklevosses and their business partner, Divyan Narendra, threw a wobbly when they saw it. They claimed he'd stolen their idea, complained to the student newspaper and the university president, but could get no relief. They eventually sued Zuckerberg in federal court. Zuckerberg, in turn, sued the twins for a social networking site they eventually created. The parties settled a suit with the Winklevosses getting $20 million in cash and more than 1 million shares in Facebook stock. Today, Tyler and Cameron Winklevoss run a venture capital firm and have a combined net worth of $2 billion. Mark Zuckerberg's net worth is $104 billion. 
making him the fifth richest person in the world. So the story is clearly represented in, you know, the social network, yes. the, both the book and yes. the movie. Yes. Certainly visually it takes a lot from that. Uh, even having Justin Timberlake as the cool partying <laughs> Napster douchebag. Yes. It wasn't completely clear in the movie, but Zuckerberg graduated from Phillips Exeter Academy Prep School. Yep. Just down the road from our friend Laura Bricker. At the prep school, they published a student photo directory, like a yearbook with students' names and phone numbers. And they called that the Facebook. So another New Hampshire contribution to the world. You're welcome. Kevin, I'm sorry, but literally every college in America, the freshman incoming class, mine, SUNY Stony Brook in 1993, had an incoming thing called the Facebook. Should we sue Zuckerberg too? It is not. A, no, no. He, the name, his name came from the analog version of it. Like it was a smart yeah, I name. Think I, I think I just said that. But it wasn't new. That being said, um, can we just talk about the fact that Army Hammer aside and everything we know about him aside. Just fucking Jesus. Um, <laughs> I forgot about Army Hammer. I didn't fucking know that Army Hammer wasn't two people when I first saw that movie. Just going right. to be honest with you. Also. Meantime, they had twins in, in, in the TV show and they only used one of them. Yes. The social network, for everything we know about the real people and the real story about it, that movie by itself as a piece of art, almost a perfect 10. I fucking love that movie. Uh, Not going to lie. And that's why I'm so disappointed by like the 38-minute story that is basically a ripoff of that movie in this episode. So to uh, tr- channel Julie Andrews, uh, Juwan, how do you solve a problem like Facebook? Oh, man. Um how much time do you have? Because I've, <laughs> um, I have had my... Not ever <laughs> enough. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I think what this one thing this episode captures is just how how ridiculous the notion of these true internet heroes and stories were at the time. Like, they didn't give any leeway to, like, oh, maybe they actually are telling a true story or, you know, maybe this is they're actually good people in the heart. They went straight for you. That was one of the things I loved about the writing of the later seasons. They were like, no, we we're going to this is law and order. We see right through that. We're cynical about all that type of bullshit. And so <laughs> they were very straightforward about how, like, their story, the love story of the characters in the show were, you know, was fabricated. And it's all just, you know, not to, to sell the product. At the time, I don't think they saw it as like making a big hero out of Zuckerberg, but they wanted to believe that like this network in this movie and the I mean, are these people that made this social network were like really the people of the future? And unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. they were. But look at the future we're in. <laughs> exactly. Where, yeah. I'm pretty sure the Winklevosses dad is not disappointed in them at all. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he, he, I'm sure he's very happy with where they no. are. Like, he has a nice like, oil portrait, I'm sure. <laughs> and they're alive. Yeah. So, you know, it works out. There you go, Winklevi. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> hey, meantime, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, and this is true, started the Mark Zuckerberg Book Club in 2015. <laughs> like Oprah. He had... <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, really. Like his his tastes were not. I mean, ugh. one of the books was Portfolio on the Poor: How the World Poor Live on Two Dollars a Day. Oh, Jesus fucking Christ! <laughs> like really, Zuckerberg, you're Jesus gonna Jesus okay. fucking Christ. Oh, also, okay. the book Why Nations Fail. I know social media. Oh, uh, there's that election the, election data. Election data. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
Right now, uh, there's uh, plans to um, start an Instagram for kids. Yay! What could go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) SVU writers are already coming up with their rip from the headlines. (laughs) Just waiting. (laughs) That's going to do it for us. We want to thank our guest, Juwan Holmes. Juwan, where can our listeners follow you online? Everyone can find me at Juwan, J-U-W-A-N, the curator on almost all social media sites and also Jawan the writer on Twitter as well. And Rebecca Lavoy, the writer. How can our listeners follow you? I am Reb Lavoy. It's mostly about dogs on Instagram, but it's also other stuff on Twitter. I am Reb Lavoy on all the platforms. And you can track me on Twitter at Kevin P. Flynn. You can also tweet to us at Law and Order Pod or follow us on Instagram at These Other Stories Podcast. Our newsreader was Cy Freider. Our theme music was composed and performed by Uncanny Valleys. Line editing by Henry Lavoie. Content assistance from Travis Roy. Lily Flynn handles promotions. To get ad-free episodes of These Other Stories a week early, sign up for Stitcher Premium. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for Criticism and Commentary. Special thanks to the elite squad of the Law & Order Wiki community for preserving the evidence. Go to lawandorderpodcast.com. Sign up for our newsletter for a chance to be our next Law & Order Marathon winner. These Other Stories was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, and is a production of Partners in Crime Media. Partners in Crime Media. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus is central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions.